Okay, well, welcome to the very, very first edition of Rolling Valley Stories, which is uh, the brand new podcast that we have for uh, Rolling Valley Ward. You can find it uh, in all your normal podcast uh, applications. It's a podcast to allow us to build unity and learn about each other. Uh, and so thanks for joining us uh, today. Our very, very first guest is uh, Dave Evans, who uh, uh, graciously offered to, to meet with us today for our very first episode. How are you doing today, Dave? I'm doing well. Thanks so much for starting this initiative. This should be fun. Yeah, I'm excited. So um, the opportunity here is just uh, for us to record living histories. It's just an opportunity for us to, to talk and chat about um, what your life has been like and, and uh, how you've gained your testimony and, and for us to just get to know you. So uh, how about we start with just, so where did you grow up? What, did you, what was your early life like? Yeah, so I grew up uh, in Southern California, a suburb of Los Angeles called Arcadia. Uh, with um, my mom and my dad, and there were five kids. I was the fourth of five, so I have two brothers and two sisters, and um, just made a lot of fabulous memories in Southern California. Did you grow up in the church, or did you did your family become converts? Or no, I did. I I, I grew up as a member of the church, and uh, my parents. You can go. You can trace the church back a pretty long way to. Uh, at least some pioneers uh, crossing the plains on on both sides of the family. So there's a lot of a lot of church history. How how far back does it go? So, yeah, I mean, as I mean, yeah, like I say, like back on the plains. I have one uh, ancestor on my father's side who famously sort of started his pioneer journey. He was in some town in the east and he converted the church and some local constable. Uh, started speaking ill of Joseph Smith, and my ancestor took a trash can lid and like hit him, hit the constable <laughs> with it, and then uh, somebody was like, "You better get out of town." So he got out of town and crossed the plains. So, yeah, <laughs> some some footsteps that you don't want to follow in precisely. Yeah, maybe maybe you want to follow in the courage, but not the specific action. Yeah. So you said you were number four, right? Yep. Uh, so what was that like growing up being number four? Did you, it, how many brothers and sisters? It was great. So two brothers and two sisters. I have one younger brother. And then um, I'm really lucky that I just have great siblings. I mean, you know, obviously we were kids. We didn't always get along great, but I have fabulous memories with, uh, with all of my siblings. And none of them live close by here, right? No, we are okay. scattered to the four winds. So I have siblings in, New York City and upstate New York and Chicago and Kansas and my parents now live in uh, Provo, Utah. So tell me what it was like. Uh, so for you growing up in the church, did you was it pretty easy for you to to gain a testimony? Was it pretty hard? Was it was it uh, what, what was it what was it like for you and as you grew up in the in the church? Were, a lot of your friends were they members or or did, or did you have a lot of friends that were non-members? I had a lot of friends who were members and I had a lot of friends who were non-members. I was really um, lucky in that way. I think I didn't have a really, I didn't grow up with a lot of, you know, strong spiritual experiences. I was always active in the church. I had callings uh, when I was a teenager in the youth organizations. And I think it was really when I was coming up on the age to potentially serve a full-time mission that I started going beyond just, you know, attending and participating and serving and really thinking about a testimony and praying and trying to, you know, figure out what the Lord wanted of me and whether I should serve a mission. And, you know, that was, the, I think, the first time I was 
doing some of my really strong seeking. How did you decide to go on a mission? You talked a little bit about, you know, you were, you, you were trying to go through that time frame where you were trying to learn and, and try to figure out if you wanted to go on a mission. How, how did you decide whether you were going to go on a mission or not? Yeah, I grew up in a family where there was definitely a, a, an expectation that, you know, every uh, worthy young man would, uh, would serve a full-time mission. And, but as I got close, it was a big commitment. At the time, I was attending a school where there were almost no members of the church, and, uh, you know, generally, you know, people weren't very religious. And so I questioned a lot, was well, this like how I want to spend the next couple of years? And I, I remember taking time going out into the woods and, you know, praying a lot about it. And then feeling, I wouldn't say like a really strong impression, but definitely deciding that I was going to serve a mission. I think that most of my testimony, most of my spiritual experience of testimony came once I was on my mission rather than before. And I definitely felt like I should go and that I wanted to go and I had, you know, spent a lot of time studying the scriptures, but I think my, my biggest impressions came once I was actually in the service. I think there are a lot of people that have that same, same experience, feeling like they want to go on a mission and having that testimony first, but that growth happens a lot while you're, while you're on your mission. Are there, any, are there any standout experiences that you, during your mission, that really helped your testimony to grow during the mission? Yeah, I can think of two in particular. So one was we were visiting with a, an investigator family, a family that was interested in learning a little bit about the church, or at least they agreed to meet with us. I was in the Dominican Republic as a full-time missionary in the Santiago Mission, which is in the northern part of the Dominican, Dominican Republic, the same mission that Sister Wells in our ward uh, served in. And I remember we were talking about Joseph Smith, and they did not believe the Joseph Smith story. And we invited them to pray in that moment with us about the veracity of the Joseph Smith story, whether Joseph Smith really saw what he said he saw, whether he was called as a prophet. And I remember we knelt down, they agreed, we knelt down together and we prayed. And I was the voice of the prayer. And I don't think that they had a strong impression of Joseph Smith as a result of that. They didn't continue meeting with us. But I remember during that prayer that I had a profound spiritual sense that Joseph Smith was called as a prophet, that he did have the experience that he later recounted in as the first vision. And so, you know, I'm not sure whether, I'm not sure what they felt, but I know what I felt. So that was one. And then another wonderful experience I had on my mission was you know, I taught a lot of people on my mission, and I had the, the gift of seeing, you know, some of them be baptized. And there was one pair of sisters who I just, they were the kind of people who I met, and I thought we would be good friends even if we met, you know, not as in missionary service. We just really yeah. got along really well, and, and they decided to be baptized. And I, and I remember I had the opportunity to baptize them. And the day that I baptized them, I felt so full of the Lord's love for them. I felt like I could feel just how much the Lord loved those two sisters and that I got to feel the reflection of that love. And I remember it stayed with me for about a week. I didn't come down from that cloud of just feeling filled with the Lord's love for these other sisters. And that experience, knowing that I could be an instrument of that love, 
that I could help other people feel the Lord's love is something that has stayed with me. That's an incredible experience. Have you ever felt that same, have you ever felt that feeling again so at, at another point in your life? I have. Um, so most of my spiritual experiences, I think, have come in the context of service, uh, sometimes including priesthood service. And one time when I was uh, in graduate school, I was living in the Boston area, and a cousin of mine was living in the area, and she was about to take a just a big trip to New York, and she was kind of nervous, and she invited me to come over and give her a blessing, just a blessing of comfort as she was going to take this trip on her own. And so I went, you know, I prayed in advance, and I went, and I gave her this blessing, and I had this same experience where I was just filled with the Lord's love for her. And I had this glimpse of just how much the Lord loved this daughter of his and this sister of mine, my cousin, but my, you know, spiritual sister. Yeah. And, you know, again, it just reminded me that it is possible that the Lord gives me the gift of letting other people feel his love, sometimes directly, like in that experience, I believe she felt it directly, and sometimes through, you know, some action that I might be blessed to take. I can see as we're talking here that this experience really impacted you a lot, right? I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's pretty incredible, and, and I'm sure a lot of people have uh, similar experiences, but to be able to feel that love from our Heavenly Father that he has for his children is, is wow, what a gift. So, so you go on your mission to the Dominican Republic, and you come home from, from your mission. And How did you decide what you were going to do school-wise and work-wise? How did you make those decisions? So uh, even before I went on my mission, I went to, when I was in high school, I took in, I was really interested in other cultures, and I took an anthropology class, and I really loved it. And my older brother was studying anthropology in college, and I really admired the thinking that he was doing. And then a friend of mine was auditing an economics class. And so I joined him and we, for an entire year, I audited this economics class and I had this very dynamic, inspiring teacher. And she, she said this one day, she said, you know, economics can be a tool for social justice. Economics can be a tool for helping the vulnerable in this world have all the opportunities that they need, not only to survive, but to thrive. And that really spoke to me. And so when I returned from my mission, I decided I wanted to study economics and to try to use it to do good in the world. And so I studied economics at BYU, and then I went on and I did a PhD in economics. And I've since worked as what is called a development economist. And so I'm an economist who works with, uh, tries to research solutions for people in poorer countries to figure out how they can have more opportunities. And I mostly uh, work on solutions for education systems in poorer countries. And so, for example, recently I've been working with uh, governments and international organizations working in Mozambique and Angola and Sierra Leone. And uh, in the past, I've done a lot of work in Mexico and Brazil, helping them and as well as learning from them uh, with their education systems and, and how they can help their teachers to be more effective, how can they can help make sure every student has an opportunity to, to thrive and get the most tools while in school so that then they can go and, and create opportunities for themselves in their lives. Do you get a chance to go visit after you make these decisions or these impacts uh, you know, to try to help these countries? 
and these governments, do you get an opportunity to go to these countries and see some of the fruits of your efforts? So economic development is a long, complicated <laughs> process, and yeah, so I'm I sure. think it would be it would be arrogant of me to sort of say like, oh yeah, this you know sure. this change in Sierra Leone is because of this thing I did. You know, in every case, I'm part of. I'm not only part of a team in my own work, but I'm, you know, one of many people who are, you know, working and contributing. Yeah. I do spend, I do get to spend some time on the ground, which is a real gift uh, for me. And so just in the last, you know, few months, uh, I was in Morocco uh, talking to the government about uh, how to improve their education system and teaching about some major reforms that certain parts of Brazil have made to dramatically improve educational outcomes in a relatively short period of time and say, well, how can, what can a country like Morocco learn from Brazil? You know, if you're in Morocco, you don't really wanna learn from great education systems like Finland and Singapore, because those countries are so advanced, you know. Sometimes you do see some results. So a few years ago, I was in Rwanda and I, I was invited as part of a team at the World Bank, which was where I worked at that point. I was invited to help figure out what it would take to transform Rwanda's education system. And Rwanda's a low-income country, and their health outcomes in Rwanda are actually like the health outcomes of a middle-income country. They do really well in health outcomes, but their educational outcomes are actually below average for a low-income country. And so, you know, I researched some of the reasons that might be going on, and I had the chance to share those results with the, the, ministry, the Minister of Finance, who's, you know, one of the, so one of the top people in the country. Yeah. And, you know, he said, why has nobody told me this? You know, it's a very, it's, you know, it's a relatively, relatively authoritarian country. And so I think people don't always want to pass bad news up the line. And so, you yeah. know, and then I had the chance to share those same results with some people who worked in the president's office. And then, you know, two weeks later, the president of Rwanda gives this big speech. We need a revolution in education quality in Rwanda. And I thought, you know, of course, I wasn't the only person saying that, I'm sure. But I did think. I was like, oh, look at that. There's, there's a little bit of me, uh, of my influence, maybe, in that. So do you feel like the, the goals that you had set or the aspirational uh, impacts that you wanted to make in starting out uh, as, an, as an economist at the beginning, do you feel like at least up to this point in your career, because you have a lot more to go in your career, but at least to this point, do you feel like you've made some of that come true? Not at all. <laughs> okay. So when I was a teenager and I decided I wanted to be an economist, I was going to save the world. You know, yeah. I was going to end world poverty. Yeah. I was going to, you know, make these dramatic changes. And then, you know, as I've grown up and, you know, been working, I've realized that you know, my role is a much more marginal role. And I don't mean that in a negative way, it's an incremental role. Sure. You know, I'm part of a very big team of people, you know, making suggestions and, uh, you know, sort of maybe shining a light on solutions, which then, you know, people who are making policy decisions in countries, and, you know, they're the experts on their own countries. Yeah. I'm not the expert on their country. They can, you know, sometimes they pay attention to things I'm saying. Sometimes they say, oh, I don't think this guy knows what he's talking about. They're probably right in those cases. And so, you know, I've definitely grown much more modest in my ambitions. Yeah. But at the same time, if I can spend a whole career uh, supporting good people in making decisions to improve education and health systems for the people in their own countries, yeah. then I feel like that'll be time well spent. Well, what a wor worthwhile effort, and I applaud you for that. That's, that's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about 
your testimony post-mission. You, you come home from your mission, you, you start studying economics, you, you start getting your PhD, uh, and you start building your family. Tell me a little bit about your family now, and then let's talk a little bit about maybe some experiences that you've had as a family or, or that you've had with your family to maybe help your testimony grow. Yeah, so I am married to a wonderful woman, Diana, and I have three children. And uh, we just sent the first one off to college. We've got one in high school. We've got one just finishing up elementary school. And uh, being a parent and being a spouse have been the experiences which I think have most, probably in my life, shown me how much I need to rely on the Lord and built my testimony. I think, you know, up until I got married, there's a certain degree in which I could always be kind of self-centered. And, you know, and I don't mean yeah. self-centered like I was always, like I was, you know, I I've yeah. always participated in the church and service. And obviously when I was a missionary, you know, I'm thinking a lot about other people, but there's a level on which my life was always still kind of mine. And then, you know, I got married and suddenly I'm sharing my life and making all these decisions together and having to think about how my decisions impact someone very directly and very immediately. Obviously, you know, my whole life, my decisions affect other people. But, you know, when I'm, once I'm married, you know, it's that person is much closer and my decisions affect them, you know, much more directly. And so, and I've seen over time how, you know, sometimes self, selfish decisions, you know, adversely impact my family and the need to really rely on the Lord because I just, I can't be an unselfish person on my own. And so I think my biggest kind of testimony grower has been in the context of family life and then in the context of, of service. Is there an experience in your life, in your married life, where you have had to really trust in the Lord? I think there are a couple of experiences on this front. Uh, we, you know, we've been blessed, to, you know, to this point we haven't had you know, major illnesses, we haven't lost a child, and uh, Diana and I will hopefully celebrate 20 years of marriage in oh, a couple of months. That's, that's fantastic. A, a blessing. You know, but we definitely have had these moments. So one of those moments was when we had to decide, uh, when I was finishing up my PhD, Diana was a couple years behind me. She was also working on a PhD at the time, and I was looking for jobs, and we were very blessed. I got a couple of different job offers, and one of those job offers looked really exciting. We were going to have the chance to move to Manila in the mm -hmm. Philippines and do international development work. And there was another job that seemed a little bit less exciting. It was working at a research think tank in, in Los Angeles, California. And we really, I think we both wanted to go to Manila. We felt like this would be just a, a really exciting thing in line with the kinds of things that we wanted to do. And we prayed about it and really felt like we were supposed to go to California. And it wasn't the answer that we wanted. And, it, you know, we were blessed. We had a job opportunity out there. There wasn't a huge amount of risk, but it wasn't the direction that we wanted to go necessarily. But, but the feeling was so strong that it was really hard to ignore. And so, so we followed that prompting. We moved out to California and had a wonderful experience out there. And then within a couple of years, had an opportunity to move out here and live much closer to some family, uh, my wife's family. Some of my wife's family lives out here. 
and to, I think, in the long run, do work that was you know, more in line with some of, some of the professional goals that, that we set out with. And so it was a case where we really didn't see the end from the beginning, and we're blessed to follow a prompting and then see it play out in a wonderful way. That's fantastic. Let's talk a little bit about the Rolling Valley Ward. How long have you been in the Rolling Valley Ward? It, we moved out to D.C. in 2007, so in 2009 we moved into the Rolling Valley Ward. What has been your experience like in the Rolling Valley Ward? I love the Rolling Valley Ward. So this is a ward where I feel like people care and people show it by showing up. You know, we moved into the ward, we got assigned two great home teachers and, uh, you know, back when we had home teaching and, you know, and they showed up, Matt MacArthur and Joel Galloway. And right from the start, just felt that love from the ward. I used to joke that if you showed up at a service project in the Rolling Valley Ward and you didn't show up 15 minutes early, it would be done. <laughs> you, I'd show up to these moves on time and there would be all these, you know, all these brethren there already sort of, you know, the truck was half full and I was like, well, you know, what memo did I miss that I was supposed to show up early? And I just see this as I've, you know, had the opportunity to cycle through a few different callings in the ward and see people working in different capacities. I just see, you know, so much love, including, you know, we have a variety, you know, people with different political philosophies, people with different educational backgrounds, you know, people in very different professions. And I just see a lot of love and a lot of openness despite that. I've been grateful. This is a ward where I feel like people you know, 99% of the time are able to leave politics at the door of the chapel. And, you know, we can step away from all that and just focus on, on doing good, both within the ward and serving in the community. Yeah, it's a fantastic ward. And w what an opportunity, right, that we have to, to, to be here with such tremendous members of, the, members of this ward. So one example of this is one of my best friends I considered in the ward over many years was uh, brother Dave Milestrip, who was in the ward for many years and then tragically passed away. Dave and I never did anything socially together, but he and I were both just at a lot of moves together when people were moving in, moving out of the ward. And I felt like we became great friends in that process. And it was just this example of how in this ward, serving together can be the catalyst for great friendships. Is there a specific, besides moving, is there a specific service project that you remember that, that you recall that helped you maybe bond or unify with, with, I guess, members of the Elders Quorum, I guess, at that point? Yeah, or members of the, the ward. Or I would, of the ward yeah, I would say, you know, we've had a number of these food drives over the years. And in particular, I remember we've had a few of these where we've been at uh, collecting at grocery stores and... And so, you know, we stand outside a grocery store and invite people when they're going to the grocery store, hey, if you want to pick up an extra item uh, for a food bank. And a couple of times over the course of that, for example, someone who was helping to organize one of those dropped out. And so Sister Darger Stewart in the ward, you know, called me and said, hey, Dave, can you help? You know, can you help co-organizing this? And then over the course of, you know, a few years, uh, Sister Darger Stewart and I organized a number of these kinds of activities together. And it was just such a blessing to, you know, be serving 
uh, not only organizing that together, but then seeing people come, come out, seeing people bring their kids and you know, teach their kids how to serve and how to invite other people in the community to serve, like watching that, you know, watching people show up and teach me things about how to do this more effectively and learning from those models has just been fabulous. One of the themes that I've noticed as we've been talking is that the service that you performed during your mission and now what you enjoy most about Rolling Valley Ward is service and serving others and then your job profession is about serving and serving others in, in, in less developed nations. Obviously service is a big, a big part of your life. What, why do you think service is, has been so, so much of a dramatic impact on your life? Why, why service versus, I don't know, something else? That's a great question and I think a lot of this comes from my, my parents and my older siblings. I, you know, I always saw my parents serving, both in the church and uh, community organizations, uh, their family. So I remember when I was in high school, at some point I got kind of bored of high school and I wanted to take a community college class. So I signed up for an American Sign Language class. And my mom, who had four other kids and a, jo a full-time job, she signed up for the class with me. I couldn't drive at that point, so you know she and I. She drove over. We took this class together. Uh, that skill ended up being a great blessing in my life for several years. But you know, maybe even more so, remembering that my mom, you know, was willing to take time out of everything that was going on to do that. My dad was a big scouter, so he was very active in the scouting organization in our area beyond the church. And so seeing him, you know, serve together with you know, members of the community more broadly. And then, you know, I, my, seeing my older siblings do work with either with, you know, with uh, the homeless or doing other community service uh, was a real inspiration to me. So that inspiration to serve came a lot from your family then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Do you, do you see yourself instilling that in your children? I hope so. I'm, I, you know, yeah. it's always my, you know, my, one of the things I'm really grateful for with my kids is that they are generally game. And so, you know, when we, you know, bring them along to something, uh, to a, you know, a service opportunity, whether it's, you know, raking leaves or uh, sorting food at Echo or inviting people to give food at a grocery store, they're game. You know, the kids, they come out, they show up, they do, you know, what they're invited to do. And so, you know, I see them doing it at least as enthusiastically as I did it when I was a kid. <laughs> oh, that's probably more enthusiastic than I was when I was a kid <laughs> doing service. <laughs> well, speaking of your, uh, your family and children, let's talk about maybe, you know, 100 years from now. Uh, let's talk about uh, this recording, if you desire to put it on, you know, any kind of any your, in your family history, for example. If you had an opportunity to talk to your posterity 100 years from now, what are some things that you would, you know, maybe you've got five minutes to talk with them. What, what, are, what are some priority items that you think you would want to tell them? Well, I hope that my posterity is much wiser than me. <laughs> and so I give them complete leave to, to you know, to move on uh, with greater wisdom than I have. But a couple of things that, that I think I would share. One is is exactly what we've been talking about. You know, find ways in your life, no matter what your work is, find ways to be kind and to be of service to other people. And I, you know, I always have to remind myself, you know, in my day-to-day -day job, often the service that I do is, you know, being gracious to people when they mess up, being patient 
trying not to not to make people have to be too patient with me by right. you know yeah. doing my thing so find ways both in and you know in all aspects of, of your life to be kind to be patient to realize that you're probably wrong a lot of the time i think it serves me well to remember that i'm often wrong and so listening carefully to other people and hearing people out and you know thinking hard about how you know they might be right or they might be partly right has served me really well and i think will serve my children and my children's children and then from a spiritual perspective just like i have questions and and my children have questions and i know sometimes we avoid the word doubts but i think you know but and sometimes doubts i think you know i really encourage them to always be open to a relationship with the Savior and with the divine and be open to where that relationship will lead them. And I can't always predict exactly what path that will lead them on, but being open to that in my life and, you know, even when, you know, sometimes I feel like I know a lot of things about the gospel, but I always, even when I'm not always sure that I know everything, I choose to believe and I choose to be open to that relationship with my heavenly parents, with the divine. And I believe that no matter what path that leads one on, I think it will be a good path. And in my experience, it'll always be better than the alternative. Well, those are great words of wisdom for any posterity. Well, Dave, thanks for joining us today. Uh, at our first ever inaugural broadcast of the Rolling Valley Stories uh, podcast. It's a pleasure to, to uh, talk to you and learn more about you and your story and your family and your tremendous life of service. We appreciate you. You're a fantastic member of our ward, and we look forward to uh, getting to know you even more. And just thanks for being here. We really, really appreciate it. Well, that's very kind. Thank you for the opportunity, and I'm really looking forward to hearing the stories of uh, my fellow friends and, and ward members. Awesome. Well, join us next time uh, on Rolling Valley Stories. Uh, thanks for joining us. We'll see you next time.